HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Michter's Distillery. Visit michters.com to find out how their taste is everything, cost be damned, attitude is creating some of the finest whiskeys available. I'm Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning. You're listening to In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Joe Campanelli, and today we have a very special guest. Um, we have Laura Colubiano from Tenuta di Valgiano. Um, Laura, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. It's my pleasure. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> um, we've had the Valgiano wines on our list at Delanima and Lartuzzi and La Picho pretty much uh, since we opened. Um, I've known these wines and loved them for, for a very long time. Um, I worked with our previous distributor, Vinifera, as you guys probably know at, at this point. Um, and uh, the wines are just absolutely beautiful, soulful, elegant expressions of uh, wines made in the hills around the town of Luca, uh, Colini Lucchese, I guess is some of the appellation for some of the wines, um, which if you guys haven't been, it is an absolutely beautiful town. And I think that uh, I know a ton of people who have been to Tuscany, but n- not a ton of people have been to this beautiful northwestern corner of, uh, of Tuscany. I absolutely recommend it. Uh, one of the really charming things about Luca is that they don't uh, allow for any cars inside of the city walls. So you can walk around and uh, not have to worry about that. And, and I love that. And the wines in the hills above it are uh, absolutely delicious as well. So, Laura, I'm really happy to have you on the show today. Tell us a little bit more about Tenuta Valjano and uh, especially about this area of this, this beautiful area of the world that, that you're lucky enough to live in, um, the Colini Lucchese. So, uh, so welcome. Uh, you know, I, you, you brought this book um, that is actually really surprising to me. Um, here, it is. it's called, it's called uh, Luca Wine Treasures. And let's start off talking a little bit about this because 
I, I really only, I've, I've been to Luca multiple times. I've been buying Italian wine in New York for almost eight years. And I can only name a tiny handful of, uh, of producers, most notably you and then Fubiano is the, the other one that kind of comes to, to mind. Uh, but this is a, a beautiful, huge book with tons of, of producers. What's going on in, in the, the Hills of Luca that would warrant such an impressive book as this? Um, thank you so much for asking uh, about uh, this corner of Tuscany and uh, it's uh, a real honor for me to <clears throat> be talking about um, uh, my, my, my landscape and uh, yes this book was done by Lars Stork who's a Danish guy who decided to retire in Luka he was living before in Nigeria he had opened some hospitals there so he bought a little house in the hills, and then he bought a little inoteca in the center in front of a very beautiful church, came up to, to us and to every other producer in the area and um, asked if he could make an interview and take some pictures, didn't ask for any money. And uh, so, of course, we did uh, the interview and we had the pictures taken. And then he wrote this book, which um, um, is a fantastic book, and it actually won the prize uh, best book on wine that year in Paris, which is a, a prize given in Paris. And um, it does talk about the, the wineries from Lucca, Colline Lucchesi, the uh, appellation, and the, the other appellation, which, which is just uh, in front of the Colline Lucchesi, is called Monte Carlo. And there are more than uh, 40 producers. So it's, uh, it's certainly an area that needs to be talked about. And... Um, and I'm one of them, so it's it's uh, an honor. Okay, before we talk about the sexier part about the, the hills, you, you mentioned that he didn't ask for any money for the book. Uh, it kind of blows my mind that that is common practice, that an author would come and ask money from someone he's writing about for a book. Is that, has that happened to you before, where someone's writing about you? It and has happened, and I suppose it's also got to do with the crisis of the editorial world. Mm -hmm. Uh, but probably he, he was sure that he was going to have a nice product in the end. Therefore, he was secure. And in fact, I bought a lot of copies and it's printed in Italian and in English. So uh, he did the right thing. It is absolutely beautiful. I mean, I'm just, just thumbing through it now. And uh, it really kind of gets the, the feel for the, the Hills of Luca. And, and I love that it starts off with, uh, with your winery right at the beginning. Um, with uh, beautiful pictures of Saverio, who's uh, the consultant winemaker. Yeah, Saverio lives in Valgiano and he works uh, at, uh, at the production of the wines, but he only works um, with me and, and for me, so he's not a flying winemaker. He makes a point to say that he is a farmer in a place, but then, you know, he probably goes around and, and gives uh, some advices to other people as well. But he's working, you know, fixed in Valgiano. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a quote. Uh, I, I'm not sure if this is from you or from Saverio, but about, uh, about biodynamics. And it says, with biodynamics, the wine is closer to the terroir because the vine is just reading the soil. Um, can you, who can you attribute that quote to? But then also, can you talk a little bit about how uh, biodynamics uh, are important to you, to the work that you're doing? And um, is there a, a certain kind of uh, adaptation that you have to make just specifically for for your area, because you know the the biodynamics is uh, is kind of a way of life and a way of thinking about it. But I imagine that 
not it's not a blanket statement where that work everything works the same everywhere. You have to be sensitive. So what's unique that that you have to do in in Luca? Uh, you know, for us, it's uh, something that happened uh, as uh, we were working, and it was a normal and natural thing to do. And uh, you know, the question should be another: Why? Is there another type of farming? I mean, everybody should do biodynamics. And Luca is a very um, lucky area. In fact, there are more than eight producers uh, of farmers who do biodynamics. So it's certainly a green lung in Tuscany. And we have given, um, a lo- we have influenced quite a few farmers around. So this is uh, important. And um, the sentence, I think, was Saverio who said it. Yeah, it was Saverio. Yeah. yeah. And tell us just a little bit more about where, where you are. It's for, further north in Tuscany and um, somewhere in between, closer to the coast than maybe, is this, is this accurate, maybe closer to the coast than Chianti and, yes, and Montalcino, uh, but not on the coast like Bulgari, right? Is it somewhere in between? Exactly. So it's uh, in the northern part of Tuscany, so the far end stretch uh, before Liguria, mm-hmm. and uh, the hills where, where Valjano is is uh, on the northeast side of Lucca, across the Sirchio River, and um, uh, actually the, the estate is squashed between the Apennines, which are just at the back, uh, and the coast, which is about 12 kilometers on a straight line, so we get the influence from both sides. From both the sea and from central. And from the mountains, yes. And from the mountains as well. And it's pretty close to Carrara, right? Yes. With the marble. It's about half an hour away. And so what, is, what does that add to you? Why is this such a great place for, for biodynamics? Is, you know, do you feel like biodynamics could, could be practiced anywhere throughout Italy? Or is this a particularly uh, good place because of different environmental conditions? Uh, yes, I think um, biodynamics uh, could be um, uh, practiced everywhere mm-hmm. in Italy and around the world. You just have to, uh, I use the word click because some people ask me, do you, does it work? Do you believe in it and this thing? And of course, until they don't click, they will never understand. And it's part of your um, way of being, as you said, but it's part of the soul. So it's, uh, it's, and it's, uh, it's, um, uh, it's very easy also. It's, in fact, it's simple, and it makes everything much simpler uh, for, for, for any farmer. So we strongly advise people to, to uh, follow this path. Yeah, one of the things that's always struck me about your wines is, um, and, and for anyone who thinks that biodynamic wines have to be funky and weird in a way, um, you know, your wines are always just elegant and soulful and with clean pretty fruit and there there are wines that if you are you know a someone who's really into wine you can certainly get a lot out of it pay a lot of attention to it but if you're more of a casual drinker i feel like there's just so much pleasure just you don't have to think about uh especially you know in your younger wines that they're just clean pretty fruit and they're not going to put anyone off regardless of the fact that you make wines in the most natural way so i feel like a lot of times the argument of you know if you make wines in the most natural kind of way they're going to be off-putting to some people i think that's the, a false argument Do you yes agree? uh for me the important thing is that the wines should be good mm-hmm. so uh when i was little with my brothers and with my brothers my mother used to read us uh, books by a writer called salgari and uh the main character of this book was sandogan and he was uh an honest 
He was a pirate, but he was honest and he was straightforward forward and um, secure. And maybe he wanted, maybe my mother wanted us to be like that. And so I, f- I feel that the wines are like that. They are straightforward, honest, and they're clean. And so they are the liquid expression of a, of a landscape. And they differ every year according to, to, to the climatic factors. And um. Great. And where, in the history of your, of your estate, where, where are you now? Tell us about the, the different kind of stages of, uh, you, know, where, you know, were you always uh, producing wines in the most natural way? Were they, were they always embraced by, by the market? Um, or has this been kind of a gradual shift in... It's been a gradual shift. So when we bought the estate in 1992, it was a conventional farm. Um, And uh, so in the beginning, we would uh, go to the local market with a problem on the leaf, say, what are you going to give me for this? And they would give you a pot of an unpronounceable powder, which you would go back and spray and think, am I putting too much of this? And you have to wear gloves and a mask. So you think... This is wrong. And within very little, we stopped doing it and uh, looked for the alternatives, which were, um, uh, you know, turning into organic first. And we visited many producers around the world to see what they were doing. And uh, and then we started on our skin. So this was the step and uh, was the steps we took. And uh, the response has always been uh, positive in the sense mm-hmm. that if the wines are good, then people respond positively to this. Great. And then uh, in 2007, you received a Trevicieri Award for your Tenuta di Valgiano. Yeah, a- to be Trevicieri, we've been receiving for 10 years. So this is the 10th year. Uh, so we've also received the star. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, is there a star if you receive yes. it ten times? Yes. <laughs> well, congratulations. Thank you. Is this a, is this something that you find has a a big impact in in the market, or is this just a a nice, you know, nice to have, uh, you know, nice to pat yourself on the shoulder and share it with with the rest of your team? I'm not sure about a vast impact, as you say, but it's important to have it, and we are pleased and happy to receive it. Uh, something that uh, was notable for me because I, I really got into the Japanese cartoon, uh, the Drops of God. It's a they call it a manga. Um, it's these be- really actually beautifully drawn, uh, um, illustrated stories. And uh, there was in uh, uh, your, your wine, Tunti Valjano, was one of the featured wines. In I mean, it's it's actually extraordinarily well researched. Um, if you guys haven't, if you guys haven't uh, seen them. Some of the books have been translated to English. I don't read Japanese, but I recommend you can, you can get them on Amazon. They're really, really good. And uh, it was just so cool for me to see in Japan, uh, Tanuji Valjano featured as, uh, as one of the prominent wines in, uh, in that. Has that. Has that had any kind of impact? Or is it, are you huge in Japan now? Can you say that? No, you get, you get bigger in China with this. So I'm, Funny. actually, I've been selling wine uh, since before. Uh, in Japan, so I was already present on the market, but uh, China is slightly more recent. And since that came out with the Tenuta di Valjano 2001, probably, yes, there has been some uh, some uh, increase. Do you have any idea how they, how they found your wine? I mean, you said it was already in Japan, and so they were probably a little bit aware of it by Nira. No, I'm not totally sure how they, they found it. They, they usually feature wines uh, which 
which they like. So yeah, I mean, Abs- I mean, it, it was just for me really cool to uh, to see a wine that I that I liked so for so long being featured in this Japanese cartoon on the other side of the world. Um, and the, the authors were just super, super well-researched with, with their burgundy. Yeah. I did a presentation in China in a town uh, called Chengdu, which is very little. It's only 14 million um, people who live there. Oh. <laughs> and as a present to, these, uh, to, the, to the crowd that, was, um, that came to the tasting, I gave a copy of the Good uh, Dieu, the number where Valjano is on it. So Wow. And what 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 is the reception? What is the the wine culture like? What have you, have you found that it maybe how it differs from Italian wine culture when when you're visiting people who are really into wine in in China? It's totally different, I must say. Um, they are slowly getting into wine. So far, it's it's very much got to do with fashion and status symbol. Uh, and I say probably the wrong things when I go there. I say, you know, you mustn't buy wines because they're really famous. Domaine de la Romane Conti, you know, it costs $10,000 a bottle. Why don't you just buy Tenuta di Vagione? It costs maximum $100 and you save. <laughs> <laughs> but it's probably a wrong thing to say. In fact, my translator didn't want to translate that. Uh, no but, way. <laughs> but the approach so far is... Um, is more uh, got to do with uh, with this with uh, the status symbol. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess that that seems like um, something that happens with with early drinkers. I guess wherever you are, that you're first drawn to things that that have a claim by a third party or that other people say is great. And then as you progress, then you can focus more on on paying attention to your own taste and what, what's pleasing to you. But they certainly uh, understand all the biodynamic procedure because they've got the feng shui. So they always ask a lot of questions. They seem very interested. Mm-hmm. But then, as you say, they might be more uh, attracted to wines which are easier to drink, sort of sweet, like Moscato, Amarone. It will take time, but I'm, I'm really doing quite a good job there. Yeah. As you do uh, wherever you go. <laughs> on, on that note, we're going to take a, uh, a quick break. Uh, we'll be back with more of Laura Colbiano from Tenuta di Valgiano. See you later. break song called New Dutch by Mamarazzi. This is In the Drink on Heritage Radio Network. Victor's Distillery is a proud sponsor of In the Drink and HeritageRadioNetwork.org. At Mictor's, our passion is making the finest whiskeys possible. When you only make small batch and single barrel whiskeys like Mictor's does, your whiskey has to be perfect. No detail is too small. 
from careful attention to the wood used in the construction of our barrels to lower barrel entry proof before heat-cycled aging in advance of exacting chill filtration. And no whiskey gets bottled until Michter's master distiller says it's just right. Michter's cost-be-damn, taste-is-everything attitude is apparent in every sip of its smooth, rich whiskeys. Is it worth it? A lot of spirits lovers seem to think so. Food & Wine magazine called Michter's the best American whiskey. Bon Appetit said, it's amazing. And the Wall Street Journal had one special word for Michter's. Phenomenal. For more information, visit michters.com or simply visit your favorite bartender or retailer and ask for Michter's. All right, we're back with Laura Colbiano from Tenuta di Valgiano um, from the hills around the absolutely stunning town of uh, Lucca. Um, and we also have a special guest. Uh, put, your, put your headphones on, Adrian. Uh, Adrian Chalk just dropped by the studio. Adrian is Laura's um, uh, wine distributor here in, uh, in New York. Um, and he has brought uh, three bottles of wine for us. So you're, you know, anyone's always welcome to jump on the show if they're bringing three bottles of Valjano. So <laughs> welcome, Adrian. Thank you, Joe. Happy to be here. Um, all right. So what, which three bottles did you bring? And then um, maybe we can have Laura tell us a, a little bit about them. So I brought the two Palastorti, white and red, mm -hmm. the two Twisted Posts, and then, of course, the star wine, the, the new Tenuta di Valgiano red. 2011. Wow. Why is it called Twisted Post? Why is Palastorti Twisted Post? Well, it's a traditional name. Laura. Because, sorry. Because uh, when the vineyard was planted in the 50s, they couldn't put all the posts upright uh, in a line because there were lots of rocks on the surface of the soil. So there was like a, a post here and a post there, a bit zigzagging. So uh, it was called Palistorti. Actually, I redid the vineyard. I put all the posts in a line and removed the stones, but the name remained traditional, Palistorti. Mm. Adrian, can you tell us about the... the uh series of events that goes around finding a producer, finding a new producer and uh, convincing them to work with you. And uh, maybe how, how did your relationship with Valjano uh, begin? The wonderful world of wine is all about relationships. And I've had um, the good fortune to work with a number of very conscientious quality growers over the last 20, 25 years. And one especially in the northern part of Italy, Alto Adige, is the Alois Legator Winery. And my great friend uh, Alois Legator uh, recommended Laura's wine. And through a mutual friend who is their sales director, Urs Vetter, one summer I was staying in Tuscany and uh, my brother and I decided to go on a little weekend trip up to Lucca. We were staying in Chianti. And uh, we met with Laura's partner and wine grower, Saverio Petrilli. And uh, Saverio is kind of like the father of biodynamics in, in Italy and uh, a lovely man. And uh, he graciously took us on a tour of the vineyards and uh, we tasted a lot of the wines. And uh, I was certainly convinced of the quality. And at the time, it was a stroke of good luck, they were looking for a new importer ambassador in New York. Great. Yeah, I, I just received an invite from Lowe's Legator to a biodynamic tasting 
And I was like, oh, this sounds great. I would love to do that. And then the location was uh, in Tyrol, like in, you know, in, uh, in uh, Alto Adige. I was like, I can't really make that at the end of <laughs> March. Uh, are you planning on attending that? Is that something that he, he does annually? Yeah, he, I've attended to a couple of editions, but I'm not sure I'm going this year. Mm-hmm. Um, Okay. Too many fairs. <laughs> Too many fairs. Well, so which fairs do you participate in um, around the... Uh, obviously, I would imagine you go to the uh, Trey Bicchieri Fair, uh, the Gambro Rose one, but are there others as well? Yes, uh, there is, of course, Vinitali, which is every year in April. And that's very important because I show the wines at the new vintages to all the distributors, so it's an important appointment. Then I participate to some fairs organized by Renaissance des Appellations, which is uh, an association of biodynamic wine producers, and we tour around the world to show the wines and explain the philosophy and the way of uh, making the wines. <coughs> and then, uh, so those can happen everywhere. Uh, there's one in Angers now at the end of January. Uh, then I'm going to do the one in Bordeaux. There's one in, uh, in uh, Melbourne. Um, so these are the most important uh, wine fairs. Yep. And do you find that there's a lot of information exchange when you're traveling with producers who have a similar mindset to you? Yes. I imagine that's got to be the best part of, of, of participating is that talking with the other producers. Yes, it's, it's an important exchange if you have time, because if you're mm-hmm. pouring at the table, then you don't have so much time to go and change. But then you have uh, the, the dinners, and so at that time you can you can you can have um uh you, you can exchange the experiences mm. and it's important yes okay so tell us about the paljano uh sorry the palastorti di valjano bianco that i'm drinking right now 2011 vintage it's really vibrant and fresh and crisp and tastes like it could be a, a coastal wine you definitely get that maritime influence here so it's a wine which is made uh mainly with uh vermentino grapes but it's also got Trebbiano, Malvasia, and a little bit of uh, Grechetto. And um, it's definitely a typical Tuscan white. I mean, you, d- there are a few other wines which are quite similar to the Palistorti Bianco. Uh, one of them is Vinbrusco that Elisabetta um, from Montenidoli does. It's a bit uh, of Elisabetta Fagioli. Fagioli. So... Um, hmm. It's very Tuscan. I mean, if you f- meet an older person, they will say, "Oh, this is how the, t- the white wines used to be made." Used to be made, amazing. It's but it's it's almost um, underselling it to say it's typical because it's so much better than the t- than the the normal than the standard. But it's typical in the idea of how it used to be and what it's what it's capable of doing. I think I would my yeah. Opinion. I, I I don't use the, the word typical because it's uh but in typicity as opposed to what's normal and standard um i I really like it but it has also more a little bit more acidity than than you'd than i'd imagine for a a a tip a a typical tuscan wine it's uh my mouth is really really watering and it's uh super delicious um so thank you thank you for sharing that it's also quite rare um given that the soils are more apt to grow red grapes mm. so um in fact it's the first time it's ever been to america i think this is one of the uh, first vintages ever imported wow and adrian so. can you tell us what what would make a soil more apt to grow red grapes as opposed to white grapes especially in this part of the the world 
Well, um, the soils at Valjano are a combination of a wonderful combination of, of granite, of of clay, where the merlot comes into play, and also a lot of gravel. And um, these red soils tend to favor red grapes. But just like in all very diverse um, locations for vineyards, the parcels that um, have a little bit more limestone tend to call out for a little bit more white grapes. And so these parcels have uh, been identified over the last 20 years. And it's really a, a bringing back to life of, of, of neglected vineyards. And um, so uh, that's why we have Palastorti white and red. Speaking of Palastorti red, would you do the honors of, of pouring a little bit? Now, Laura, you, you choose not to put on your labels anywhere that your, you know, your wines are grown in a biodynamic method. However, I do notice on the, the foil that, uh, and this is something that I, I've, I've always wondered and never know anything about. You have this um, uh, Vinaioli Independente or the Vigneron Independent that you see sometimes in the French labels. What is that, actually? <laughs> I've, never under, I've never understood it. I see it on, on bottles that I like uh, frequently. It's a little cartoon, and I, I imagine it means that you're not owned by LVMH. But other than that, like, what, is it, what does it actually mean? It's, uh, the Italian uh, name for it is Federazione Italiana Vignero, uh, Fivi, uh, Vinaioli Indipendenti. So uh, it's, it's gathering a number of smallish uh, to medium wineries, and the idea is to have a weight with, with politics uh, because the bureaucracy is so heavy in Italy if, if you're a farmer. And instead of helping us, they, they do not help us at all. So we want to have a weight and be able to uh, fight some of the bureaucracy, which is a nightmare. And in France, it's it's big and it's working really well. Mm. So the idea is to spread uh, the Phoebe also in Italy. And what are some of the main issues? What are some of the things that you really need to fight for that the bureaucracy is getting in the way of? Um, the number of controls we get in the winery, we get something like 12 controls every year. So a control is an inspector coming through the winery? Yeah. and an inspector of, of all sorts. Mm. So all the different uh, control um, uh, boards, uh, you know, they call us and they say, you've been picked for the control, uh, etc. So they, they take a lot of time. Plus, you know, we think we're working very thoroughly and we do nothing wrong. So it's, they're really um, uh, making us waste a lot of time. And so we try to... Um, gather together to 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 say that <clears throat> um, you know people should help us instead of uh, going against us. Mm -hmm. It's kind of ironic. These inspections go on all over the place, and yet Valgiano is one of the few wineries that actually helps train the Demeter inspectors. Wow, I didn't know that. That's insane. What's so what's that process like? What does what does a Demeter inspector do, and what's it, what's it like training? How do you get involved with that? Well, it's, uh, it's normal. The Demeter, they come and see if you're doing things properly. So first they look at the books, then they take samples of the leaves, they take samples of the soil. And um, we also proposed if they wanted to, to be more um, knowledgeable in the depth of the, of the biodynamics. And so we did a course <coughs> for them with Alex Podolinski. So it was a two-day course, which was important, I think. 
Wow. And uh, I, Alex, uh, I, I was reading, Alex has been to, to your state, obviously, and, and is really fond of the water table at your, at your property. I read a quote from him saying that no matter what, no matter what you do, Laura, and, and, and your winemaker, you're always going to make great wine because you have great water. Ed. Can you explain how? Uh, yes, that was the that first mean? time Alex came uh, to Valjano. You know, we, we had been hearing about uh, Alex Podolinski and strongly wanted to meet him. And finally, we met him and we invited him in Valjano. And it was quite a long time ago. And of course, if somebody arrives all the way from Australia, as we were showing that the vineyard, He's not going to say, well done, you're doing things rightly. He was criticizing everything. He's saying, yes, I, I would have done differently this, would have done differently that. And then <clears throat> at some point he said, take me to the water. So we hadn't said anything about the water. So it was quite funny that he asked. So we took him to this place where, in fact, it's in the woods where the water arrives from a source and gets into a, an, an old decanter that was done in the 18th century made of brick, cotto. And... Uh, uh, drop by drop, it goes into another uh, fountain. And so he put the water in the glass, didn't taste it and didn't smell it, and, and said, this wine has 95% of energy. And it took us a while to understand why, but um, the, the idea is that it runs through a silica rock, so it's very pure. Wow, that's fascinating. And so that water is the natural water that's under underneath your vineyards and... Uh, I imagine there's no irrigation that is necessary in no. this area. That, I mean, that's beautiful. And I've been uh, I've been sipping in while Laura was talking about uh, the Palastorti Rosso, uh, which I have to say is a favorite of our our team over at Delanima. At Delanima, we really focus on great only indigenous grapes, only Italian indigenous grapes. But this is one exception that we make because it's just such a staff favorite. Um, through, throughout and, and certainly at, at La Picha we sell a, quite a bit of Palestor to Adrian is shaking his head approvingly as well <laughs> well it, it is uh, mainly Sangiovese you're, you're right that is relatively indigenous uh, to Tuscany but um, I think it's unfair to say that Merlot and Syrah are not necessarily indigenous uh, it's true they did come from France but they came quite a long time ago with uh, Napoleon and his troops and you know so we're talking at least you know, 300 years now um, and they have a reason for being there. I mean, the, the Syrah loves the granite, and the, and the Merlot loves the clay, and together they represent less than, or you know, less than a quarter of the blend. And also, um, when you drink <coughs> a wine from Valgiano, you don't really uh, separate the varietale. I don't know if you agree with me, Joe. It, this is uh, all got to do with terroir. When you have a good terroir, you, it's not that the Syrah comes more than the Merlot or the Sangiovese. They all blend together uh, into this, these wines, and it's always been part of the tradition. I, uh, I completely agree. It feels like the... Um, what, what is the altitude that you're, that you're... It's not too high. It's 270 meters is the highest vineyard. Yeah, and, but it, it, there's such an, a softness and elegance to, to these wines and the kind of floral character with the fruit. I, I really... Love that. I mean, you can. There's no wrong time for for Palestrosa. I think it's such a beautiful wine. But the the altitude is important in that um, the the hills of Luca are are dramatic. They start really from the plain and go straight up, and that's why it was such a popular summer um, residence for a lot of the noble families going back uh, centuries now in Luca. 
All right, I'm I'm excited but a little intimidated to taste the 2011 Tenuta di Valgiano. And I say that only because I find that it's a wine that just ages so well. And um, I know that we'd like to list this on, on our list when they have at least uh, five or six years, but you know, preferably more. Um, and how is the 2011, what was that, what, what's going on? Is this, this is in the market now, just released? Yes, now it's been released for a year. Mm. So it's almost finished now. And uh, 11 has been the best vintage we've ever had in the sense that we've had a real winter, a real, a good spring, a good summer. And throughout the harvest, it was fantastic. And I mean, it was easy to make a good wine. Um, We can probably say it's been the best vintage ever. And we started in 92. So we've been making wine there for 22 years. Wow. It is just jumping out of the glass. It's really aromatic. um, Absolutely beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Very complex for such a, a young wine. Uh, and if you hadn't said that, I would have uh, still felt, I really think that that is a delicious wine. Um, it can certainly drink well now. And uh, I, I wasn't expecting it to be, just because it's such an age-worthy wine, but really good balance. My, my mouth is watering with lots of, lots of good acidity. And uh, that, is, that is really exciting. It's, it's a wine in harmony, and it's very savory, and uh, I think that's been consistent with uh, the last five vintages that I've imported. Um, thankfully, we still have some large bottles of 09 and 10, and a few of them have made it into my cellar, too, so I'm looking forward to trying those um, over the next few years. I love that about you, Agent. I feel like you collect the wines from the producers you work with. I know that in your cellar you always put aside some of, uh, some of the wine from, from the, the growers you work with. It's true. I think you have to have a, a library of wines because uh, some growers don't even do that. And I, I always uh, recommend that they do that just to have a, a history of the wine. But uh, it's also a personal pleasure for me to, uh, to share the wine. So I, I definitely drink what I import. Wow. Um, I know that uh, you guys have another appointment coming up after this, so we're going to wrap it up. But uh, I really encourage you to all look for the Valjano wines. I mean, they're just absolutely beautiful, and you'll find them on our, our lists uh, all the time. Laura Colobiano, thank you so much for, for being on In the Drink. It's been such a pleasure to have you here. I would, I would like to invite every listener of Heritage Radio over to Valjano. Great. So both of you can go, probably at the same time. There's a direct <laughs> flight to Pisa. Yeah. Yes. All right. Well, that's a, that's very uh, generous offer. And how would they how would they get in touch? Uh, um, they can send an email to Laura, like Laura, at Valjano dot it. All right. Uh, I recommend it. I've been there, uh, and it is just such a stunningly beautiful place. Uh, where Laura lives is like this medieval castle, somewhere between a villa and a castle. It's absolutely gorgeous uh and and like i said i I absolutely love that town of of luca it's great food there and uh, just a a lovely place to uh to walk around uh and thanks to you adrian it's been a pleasure having you on the show it's a nice uh a nice surprise thanks for bringing the wine my pleasure all right thanks adrian chalk and uh laura colobiano from tenuta di valgiano thanks for listening thank you joe in the drink on heritageradionetwork.org Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. 
You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.